Welcome to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller, and I interview incredible mentors in the entertainment industry, specifically focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. My guests are people from showrunners to executive producers, series regulars, network executives, agents, casting directors, people that we want to learn from. How did they start? How did they get here? How did they get to be so successful? And our mission is to provide listeners with the tools, wisdom, and encouragement to grow in this industry. Thank you so much to everyone who's been listening, all the episodes, all of the many episodes. I appreciate you. And I also want to say, if you haven't yet, please rate and review on whatever podcast platform you are currently listening on, right? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I read them all and I appreciate them. And if you have any sort of feedback about this particular episode or any ones that we've had thus far, uh, please write to me on Mentors on the Mic on Instagram or at Michelle Simone Miller on Instagram. I love hearing from listeners and I love connecting with all of you. So write to me. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, let's get into it. Our mentor this week is none other than Galen Fresh. Galen has such a wealth of experience, so much knowledge to share. The stories she told are just so lovely and interesting and just packed with incredible tips. She started the assistant route. So we have her as assisting great directors, producers, showrunners, everyone from Curtis Hansen, that's Oscar-winning director, Curtis Hansen, on four and a half months of filming The River Wild with Meryl Streep, as well as assistant to Catherine Bigelow on Strange Days through post-production and the release of the film, um, executive's assistant to CEO of Castle Rock Entertainment, where she worked, um, this is for Martin Schaefer, she worked in the development and uh, international release of Miss Congeniality, the Green Mile, two weeks notice. And that's when she started getting out of that road. But I find that sort of path so interesting. I don't really get to talk to many people who who go that route, but it's so great. It's such a great way to get in, in your foot in the door. And she she did that all the way to the director of development at Castle Rock Entertainment, then the executive vice president of Martin Chase Productions the Vice President of Movies of Development and Production at Mar Vista Entertainment, and then Vice President for Film and TV at Hello Sunshine. And now she works for herself. She does incredible projects, and she touches on all these roles and what they mean and what the responsibilities entailed. She gives great advice on networking and connecting with people and how to make yourself invaluable on set, what she did to make herself invaluable to her incredible mentors. So well, let's, let's get to it. Without further ado, here's Galen Fresh. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so, so thrilled to speak with you. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And it's your first podcast. That's super exciting to me personally, because I love podcasts so much. Uh, I always start off these interviews with what was your first role in the entertainment industry? I um, worked at a small TV production company that did made for TV movies and series. And I got the job four days after I arrived in Los Angeles. Ooh, four days. That's exciting. I think I started on a Friday. I interviewed on a Thursday and I started on a Friday and I probably got to LA the weekend before. So I was, was my first week in Los Angeles. Oh me. And I heard it was, uh, it was it a blind ad off of the Hollywood reporter? That's what I saw. Blind ad off the That's Hollywood reporter. So great when it works out that way, huh? 
it's a crazy story. And, and, and interestingly enough, I'm still friends with all of those people. And the woman who answered the phone and pre-interviewed me when I didn't know I was being pre-interviewed just passed away recently. And she, we're all getting together to celebrate her in a couple of weeks because those of us who are still around, when you think about it, that was a long time ago, but it was a, I look back a lot and think I was very lucky to be with a wonderful group of people in my first job. And I'm not going to lie. It wasn't easy. And I did get laid off and learning, you know, but I'm still friends with those people. And it started me off on the right path. And as I mentor now, I'm very, I'm even more thankful because I'm like, wow, I worked with people who were teaching me and who were just good, nice people and let me ask them questions and answered them and, you know, those kind of things. Absolutely. The, exactly what you want for your first role, mm-hmm, for your first mm-hmm. position. And everything and, shot in LA, I would go to set the set after work. Like we, they would let us, we'd get off work. And if we were shooting a movie, it was mostly TV movies or series in Los Angeles, we'd say, can we go? And that was what I always loved. And so we would drive into someplace and my, my friend who worked with me would go, we'd be in downtown LA someplace shooting a TV movie or a series. And we'd get to go and, and, be on set. I mean, when you really think about what a gift that is when you're in your early twenties, just out of college. And did you know what you wanted to do at that point? I did. Weirdly, I always wanted to be a producer. I didn't exactly know how to do it. And I think you still learn. I mean, I'm still learning every day, you know, everything's different, but you know, I did know, and I went through the production at UT and I always knew, and a friend asked me that yesterday, he said, did you ever want to direct? And I said, no, no, no. Cause I don't want to worry about lenses and, you know, and all that. And, you know, but I said, I like to bring the people together. I like mm-hmm. to find the story and go from there. And then I love that part of it. I love working with writers. I love working with directors. I love putting the whole package together and seeing it all the way through to the end. And it's still I've been offered some detours in my life. I was thinking that today before we talked, I was working as a set PA on a TV movie for those guys that I had worked when I got laid off. The UPM was the head of the DGA training program. And, and for those, said, uh, UPM is unit production manager. Just in case. And it was the training program for the director's guild, but it really trains you as an assistant director. And, you know, you can go up to line producer, unit production manager, but she came up to me one day and said, you're doing a great job. Would you be interested in interviewing for the DGA training program? And I knew that it was also a good path forward and that, you know, financially. And I, and I just said, I thought about it and I said, no, that's just not the path I want to take, you know, and you, and you think that you, as you've been in it for a long time, like what's my sliding doors moment, but yeah, but I know I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be an assistant director and I didn't want to be a director. So you think about going up that path or being a line producer. And I have a lot of respect for all the people who do it. And I love working with them. And I love knowing a little bit about a lot of things and knowing people I think are a good fit, you know, to work with too. So And the route you ended up taking is one that a lot of people end up taking, but a lot of people don't even know anything about, which is why I'm like, so, so curious. You've done so much, right? If anyone wants to look her up and look up her like LinkedIn and look at her IMDb, there's just a lot of different roles uh, that I want to discuss. So your next sort of your path really became 
assisting incredible people in the business for a long mm-hmm. time. So we have television producers, James Hirsch and Robert Papazia, right? That's Papazian. Papazian. So those I'm were the first you. guys. Yeah. The, the ones guys. I'm having dinner with in two weeks. Excellent. Um, oh, good note. I love that. And Jim was an Emmy winning writer who came up at a television. He, uh, I think he won an Emmy for a very, back when TV movies were very inspirational and, yeah. um, and big, they were everywhere. Big. Yeah. He wrote a movie called the rape of Richard Beck, which was about, I think that's the name of it. Probably sorry, Jim, if I, but it was uh, about a man dealing with a rape and it was, mm. um, oh my gosh, I can't Richard Crenna starred in it. Oh. And so it was probably in the seventies or eighties. I don't know, but Jim wrote it and he was, I think he won the Emmy for it. And Bob came up as a line producer, producer, and they were partners and they were doing TV movies and series. And mm. I learned so much from them. And I can still remember Bob coming to set on these TV movies when I was PAing. And I just like, sometimes I laugh. I'm like, oh, I, you know, the things I learned. And here we are this many years later. And they were amazing. And then from there, they took on a show called Johnny Bago, which right. was set up with, uh, the, the main, it was Robert Zemeckis yes. and Frank Marshall, mm-hmm. and then Peter Seaman and Jeffrey Price, who wrote Roger Rabbit and Doc Hollywood. And they were the showrunners, right? They were the showrunners and Steve Starkey, who was uh, Bob's producer, and they all knew each other and they came up with an idea for the show and they sold it. <laughs> and then the company that I had worked for was the company that they laid it off as the production company. Mm-hmm. So when they needed an assistant and I was freelance at that time, Bob and Jim sent me in as one of two or three people to meet with Peter and Jeff. And that took me into a whole other, they had never done television before though. And I knew more about, they knew way more about everything. But yeah, it was just funny things where, you know, it was such a, and I was on set with them and I was their script coordinator and I typed up all the script revisions and, and they were just amazing people who still make me, can make me laugh harder than anybody I know. And that show was very much ahead of its time too. It was a kind of an hour long comedy and CBS didn't know what to do with it, but it was happens quite often, unfortunately, where you're just like, it's good, good content. And they just don't know what to do with it sometimes. And the other thing too, was through them, they had a feature deal at universal. So the TV show was, and and this was back when TV was the ugly stepchild. So it was very different. And Bob directed the pilot Frank directed an episode. I mean, it was, it was just amazing. And we shot eight episodes, but when it was over, I was still with them in post-production, but they had their feature deal. They had a feature executive. They had an assistant, they had an office at universal. And I was in a little desk off to the side and the job ended. And the funny mm-hmm. thing is they would say to me all the time, Oh, Galen TV sucks. We're going to get you into features. And I was like, guys, I just want to work, you know? And, and it really was, I loved them both. And I always have. And But it was actually through them, their assistant who was, you know, permanent on staff and was my friend, Curtis Hansen, who Mm. was not a well-known name at that time. Not Oscar-winning director Curtis Hansen at the time. No, the funny story is because it's pre-internet, Curtis called their office because he had a friend in common with Peter and Jeff. And he said to their assistant, I'm doing this movie at Universal and I need an assistant. Do you know anybody? Mm. And she went pretty much like, oh my God, yes, I have someone who just finished working for us. And she called me. And because we did not know who he was, we called the DGA to get his credits. Oh, that was a long time ago, right? And that his credits, it was like, 
Bad Influence, which highly underrated movie. And then Hand, he was coming off Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which was right. a huge movie. And we were like, oh, okay, he's legit. He's legit. <laughs> and so I went to meet him, drove from Santa Monica to Universal on a Friday night, which anyone oh, who was living in, LA, in Santa Monica at the time. Yeah, still am. Um, oh, and, nice. Yeah. Beautiful and there. He, yeah. It is. I love it. But he, we sat there in his office and he interviewed me and I said, I will never forget when he said, I don't think I'd read the script yet. And, and, but he just hit, and he said, we just signed Meryl Streep to play the lead in the movie. And I know I went and I was just like, okay. And then he said, I think at the time they were like looking at like Dennis Quaid or someone, and it ended up being Kevin Bacon, who is just, you know, and we had an amazing cast and it was also really just in LA at that time, Mm. it was while we were in pre-production because as a producer now, especially, I know how expensive it is to bring people in. They have to pay not only your salary, but your housing and your per diem and travel and all everything. And so he was not looking at it as for the whole movie. He was just looking at it like, let's see how this works out. They're letting me hire someone. And I joke and I tell students this all the time. If you can make yourself invaluable, and I had been taught that people always need someone to read for them. And so we had an office, uh, like a production kind of office, but then he had an office in his garage apartment, whatever. And there were scripts just stacked all over this office. Hmm. And I looked at him and I said, what are all these scripts doing here? And he goes, well, I think I'm supposed to be reading them. And I go, oh, would you like me to read some of them? Because when I was laid off from my job at Paisley and Hirsch, I was covering scripts for them. And that's what I was doing. They were paying me. I was a reader. And so I was used to literally reading a script and writing up coverage. So I said, you know, I can do that for you. And he went, oh, okay. And after, I think it was about a week and a half, he said to me, so do you like, you like being on set? And I said, yeah, I love being on set. And then he worked it out to where I could be on set with him. And we were on location for four and a half months in Montana and Oregon, wow. making the river wild. And that was experience of a lifetime. It will never to be replicated. Really? Um, and it was, it was special. really very special. And, you know, Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon, I David mean. Strathairn, who I just watched in where the crawdads sing and just makes me smile in every way. John C. Riley, Joe Mazzello, who was a little boy and is I took a meeting with him as a director a couple of years ago and um, Benjamin Bratt was in it. I mean, it was just love Benjamin Bratt. Yeah, it was crazy. It's a great movie. It's a great movie and And once in a lifetime experience, really. Well, there's so much there to unpack for a second. So definitely Mm -hmm. make yourself invaluable for you, particularly like find you found a skill set that you already had that you already cultivated somewhere else and used that to propel yourself forward in this as well and make yourself just even noticed and appreciated. But then on top of so what exactly then now that you were on set with them all the time, what what were your what were your responsibilities? It's so funny because that's such a good question. It really depends. Like this was, I hate to say, oh, this was like pre-cell phone or there were cell phones, but we didn't, we didn't take no them out in them. the middle of nowhere. <laughs> we were helicoptering in and out of location and riding jet boats. And it really depended on the day. I was still covering scripts for him. Right. I was taking care, like in the beginning, like I actually went on a location scout, me and like 15 guys with two private planes because I was inputting the script revisions from Carrie Fisher. So I Mm -hmm. went on the plane, dragging a computer and a printer, and I would set up in my room and they would go scout for the day. And she would send her script revisions, handwritten on yellow legal pads. And so she would fax them to us and I would take them and I would 
type them up and I'd hand them to him at the end of the day, he would go through and mark them up and whatever he was doing. And then I would input that. So it was like, I was doing that while we were scouting because we were in the, you know, throes of, you know, pre-production. And so when we went on location, you know, a lot of it was also getting him set up. You know, I rented houses for him, getting, making sure his, everything was taken care of so he could do his job in the best way possible. As a director's assistant, you're kind of a gatekeeper too. I mean, the department heads, everyone has access, but you're constantly making sure everyone gets their questions answered and gets, you know, contact with him. But true, I was also his contact with the outside world because his, because there weren't cell phones and email, his agent would call and I remember he'd be out in the middle of nowhere and I'd be like, your agent called me and be like, will you go call him back? I'm like, he doesn't want to talk to me. He wants to talk to you. But I was weirdly like a messenger where I was the conduit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so it was a really interesting position. And also I was, um, I was still covering, reading, covering scripts for him because I like to keep busy. So there's a picture of me somewhere. I climbed up to the top of these rocks and I was reading a script because he was out in the middle of the water. Mm. And, but you know, I did, I got him dinner every night. We found a restaurant in rural Montana that would make him kind of healthy meals. And every night I would go pick up his dinner and, but we would all watch dailies together every night. And I'd be on the floor watching dailies with Meryl Streep and her daughter, who is now the star of- the, the youngest, Louisa. Lisa. No, she, who was the star of The Gilded Age. And I kept looking at Love the movie the going, yeah, the show going, who's that girl? And then I realized that was the child who was two and a half and was with us. And we oh. all used to pass her around. I have a, I have a picture of her eating my birthday cake, which oh. I haven't posted, but it, so it was a, and Meryl was like as good as it gets. And we had a crew of about 400 and maybe there were 25 women. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was going to ask something about that just because, yeah. especially because you said, you know, even mm-hmm. just the, like the location scouts, all those people were all men as well. How was it? How was it, especially at that time, but how was it to be one of you the know, only women? I was always good and at it. Like I, I, it was interesting. Let's like, especially when you're in your twenties and these guys are like, a lot of it was, was funny is they could just be very condescending. Like, well, young lady, you know, there's no bathroom on the plane. And I was like, thanks, you know, and, but I had been used to working with men and I will say it was always funny. And I said that I, when I got to LA, I remember just thinking, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, it doesn't matter if you're a girl. I was so unjaded. And then, you know, you realize it does, it does matter. You can still succeed. And, but an example I give on that scout, it was all, like I said, it was the department heads and, and weirdly they were all men. And funny enough, now having done so many movies, I have so many female department heads, or at least usually there's one or two, you know, women involved. And at that time it wasn't even, and this is also a big adventure movie, but we were sitting at dinner and one of the guys made a really off color joke. I can handle that. And I had just worked with Peter and Jeff who are the best, but they'd say stuff. And I'd just look at them and be like, come on. Uh, and they go, Oh, and this guy looked at me in front of all these men and went, Oh my God, I forgot you were here. And I said, you know, it would have been better if you just hadn't said that because I'm fine. You know, I mean, like I can, you know, and I was always weirdly, I was good at standing up for myself hmm. even then, but I always diffused it with humor because people say things and you just go, <laughs> yeah. You know, I bet your yeah. wife wouldn't like that. And that yep. was always one of my go-tos. And nice. Oh, yeah. it's great that and, you even said that. I mean, it's funny. It's like most people, I think, laugh it off so they can keep going and do their thing. But it's amazing. Yeah. Even just like little one-liners there. 
I was always good at that. And it, you know, sometimes it worked better than others, but they didn't have a wife. And sometimes it's like, yeah, but it would also let a lot of married guys know that that was not, you know, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's, it's, (laughs) it's so interesting because not only is it like from your perspective, okay, you were one of the only women on set during that time, but or for one of the only women, mm-hmm. but, but in addition, like from their perspective, from that guy's perspective, he was used to only having men in the room. Like Absolutely. for him, it was a transition to, oh my God, there's a, there's a woman in here. Like totally forgot that that could happen now because he was so used to it just being an all boys club. It's I've had the reverse, which was really funny. I worked for a night. We'll get there, but I worked yeah. for Deborah Martin Chase who, yeah was female producer, small deal. It was three of us. And it was always me and Deborah. And I said, it was good that I was never the only woman in the room. And, but there was a time where we were in a room pitching and it was me and Deborah and another producer who was working with us, who is a former studio exec and the writers were women and the executives were women. But of course the guy who could say yes was a man, but we were all in the room and he looked around and he goes, Oh my God, I think this is a first for me to be the only man in the room. And we were like, ha, ha, wow, good for you. You know, Welcome I mean, our like, world. yeah. And it was, but it was, um, I've also been lucky to work with a lot of great, you know, women too, but I think yeah. working with Deborah, especially because we, she was a female driven producer and we were, we were like, we do these type of movies. And I had a friend say to me, the funniest thing years later, he said, you know, I'm really glad you didn't become one of those hard Hollywood women. And I was like, huh, but I know, yeah, I know what that means. And you had to be that way, especially at the upper levels to survive. And women wore suits. You did not wear a skirt or a dress and I wear dresses on set. And I'm, I'm like ultimately. And, but I said with Deborah, I was never going to be the only woman in the room. Mm. And she was also feminine, like she wore skirts. And so we, we both, it was like, you didn't feel awkward. I know that sounds so silly, but when you think about it and you're just trying to fit in and you don't want to be that sore thumb, you know, like, yeah. why is this guy turning around and going, oh my God, I forgot you were here. So that's just one of the ways that it's, it's changed. They're just yeah. more women, you know, and you don't have to act like a dude. Exactly. It softens it a bit. Just make it a, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so let's wait, before we go into Deborah, mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of just touch base. So after Curtis Hansen, we had Catherine Bigelow, which is mm-hmm. incredible. Love mm-hmm. her so mm-hmm. much. And then Martin Schaefer, who's done so yeah. much as well. So I just wanted to take a second and go like, what can you tell us about this period of your life where you assisted all these people? And then also, would you recommend this route to people who want to move up in the entertainment industry, specifically in production development? It's really interesting because my was, I mean, at Papazi and Hirsch, it was a little bit of both. It was definitely development. And I learned how they were selling to networks, but I did not go the development route partly because they downsized. And then I ended up going into production. I feel like for me as a producer who I I now I'm a creative producer. So I go on set and I'm there from start to finish and being a director's assistant, being a set BA was invaluable. I mean, just I know how a set works. I know what the people do. I know how to handle myself on a set. And, you know, and, and I felt, I look at that and I also have a lot of respect for directors because I understand not ever wanting to be one. I understand the job and how much pressure and what's going on in their minds and how as a producer, even when you throw them a curveball and go, we got to cut this or that or that, if they get upset at first, that's understandable because they're 
they're thinking of it in a very specific way. And sometimes you just got to take a step back and let them think about it and then have the conversation a little bit later. But I mean, you know, it, it is interesting because it's like both Curtis and of course, Catherine ended up winning Oscars. I mean, Curtis won his for writing LA Financial, which I also thought was worth for directing, but you know, he got beat by Jim Cameron and then Catherine, and that was only in post-production. So it was a very different experience. Mm. I didn't act, I was not on set with right. her. But then, and then I went to work at Castle Rock and I will say I was, I was also though tired of being freelance, you know, it was like, it's hard because you get in a groove and then you're like, oh, I'm unemployed. And, but Castle Rock was a place that was so well-respected and honestly, just sort of one of those, oh my God, really? I get to work here, you know, and I will always be grateful for that experience. And, and Martin and Liz Glotzer are still you know, people, I emailed Martin recently because in a very small world thing, one of my best friends happens to be Richard Linklater's sister, but we met completely outside of the business and became best friends. And then when she told me she was Rick's sister, I was like, he had done, you know, Castle Rock movies. And so she just got married and we were all in Austin and I was at Rick's and we were talking about the good old days of mm. Martin and Liz. And he was just telling me stories about making before sunrise and the movies that he made there. So the day of the wedding, I said, we're going to take a picture and we're going to send it to Martin and Liz. And he goes, we got to toast them with wine. So we have this cute picture. Mm. And I, I emailed both of them and told them this, you know, funny story. And Martin was like, that's amazing. You know, so I'm very good at keeping relationships. Yes. Too, if you haven't, if you haven't I figured ha- out, I have noticed. Yes. Yeah. But I like to stay connected to good people. And I think it's always a value. And I tell all my mentees too. And when I meet students, I'm like, you know, reach out to me through LinkedIn. I'll usually accept you if you're a UT person, I might not be able to get you a job, but I tell all my mentees, you know, just keep in touch with me, even if you're not looking for something like just call them, you know, they have it so much easier because it's email. Email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I had to pick up the phone when I was unemployed and call right. people <laughs> and fax them my resume and say right. I'm looking for a job. So, so like sending must, Martin yeah. a note or li- and that, it's like I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I'm exactly. just saying hi and look at this. And um, and every job I've been at, I've collected really wonderful people, and that's how you succeed in this business too. Great. I agree. I think um, people often make the mistake in networking thinking you only go to these people or you only go to people that uh, when you need something. And it's Mm -hmm. definitely not that. It's all the other times you go and you support and you stay connected. And even if it's, I mean, LinkedIn is also really special because like someone might post some good news or an article they've written or something that they, you know, whatever. And then it's just an easy in Mm -hmm. just be like, oh, hey, let me respond to this. That's it. But that's still part of it. I still, and whenever I have a movie or something coming out, I will post it on Instagram and Facebook. I'm trying to get better off LinkedIn because it's a different, you know, but you know, also being in this business forever with my family and friends that I went to school with, they all want to know when's your next project. I'm like, okay, yeah. if I just put it out there, they're always going to know. And the other thing I say too is, and I told a friend this the other day, we were talking about someone who had a movie come out and she said, oh, I met her years ago, I was an assistant and she was a writer rep by this agency. And I drove her around all day. And, you know, and she said, and I said, well, do you still have her email? You should just drop her note and tell her how much you like the movie. Exactly. And she said, do you think I should do that? And I said, yeah, hundred percent. 
and you may never hear from her. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because you might run into her three years later and she'll go, oh my gosh, thank you for sending me that note. And I did learn from creative people too. They always want a good feedback on yeah. anything that we all work really hard. And I think people don't realize sometimes how what we do, we put out into the world and we want to know what people think of it. Yeah. So if you like it, tell me, I'll have friends on Facebook, go, I'm going to watch your movie. And then I'll be like, well, you need to tell me after you saw it. Yeah. If you that's, like it. that's where the connection <laughs> is. That's mm-hmm. it's not the, I'll watch it. It's the, I watched it. And mm-hmm. this is my mm-hmm. response. That's where people go like, oh, okay. I appreciate that level of connection. I appreciate that you went out of your way a little bit to do something that like might connect, connect us further. That's why we all, I mean, what we do as filmmakers and television producers, writers, directors, actors, we do it for people to see it. So I think that, and especially when it's not in a movie theater, it's amazing watching a movie you've worked on in a movie theater with an audience, but when it's on television and you don't get to watch it with anybody, you definitely want to hear from people what they thought of it, you know, I mean, or just that, that they they watched it, you know, well said. Um, well said. So in the early 2000s, you did move up from the executive assistant role to creative director to then director of development at Castle Rock, which is huge. And you worked on the development and release of movies like Miss Congeniality, which I love, Two Weeks Notice, another Sandra Bullock film, The Green Mile. What was this transition like? And did you feel prepared for it? I will say I was, you know, and I look back on it. I was an assistant for a long time. I also had to make a living, but I learned so much in these jobs. And when I was on Martin's desk, they promoted from within and I was waiting. And there was that bit of, so he made me a creative executive while I was still on his desk, which was still hard, but at least I had the title and the expense account. And I could say to people, Hey, I'm a creative executive now. And I could start reading scripts and doing And then when it was finally the director of development, it was so strange, can't even to go from being an assistant to having assistant in a matter of a short period of time, you look around and you're sitting in an office and you're like, what do I do now? I mean, like, you know, to a certain extent, this was also back in the spec days where everything, I mean, I was on Miss Congeniality Mm -hmm. and all of those movies, I was still working for Martin, but I was also really involved because, you know... (laughs) I had a lot of access to the president yeah. of the company and to, and to Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant. And, you know, I always say William Goldman became my friend because I answered the phone and spoke to him once a day, you know, yeah. but then it was like the job changed and you were kind of your own little satellite where you were communicating with agents and managers and meeting writers. And that's what you did. You did breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was all about networking. So people would bring you material and Tuesday was script, the was spec day. And sometimes I would get like 10 scripts on a Tuesday night. And cause we were buyers and we had readers. So it was a combo, but it right. still was ultimately up to me to decide what I was reading that night. If we wanted to, you know, if I wanted to take it to my bosses or however we wanted to do it. So I read and did a lot of, a lot of reading and a lot of meetings and, and it was just a totally different position, but was I prepared for it? Yes. Did I miss some of the access that I had before? Yes. But when Hugh Grant walks into your office and looks at all these scripts and goes, Hey, I almost did that one. What are you doing? Or Rob Reiner would walk into my office and go, are you reading anything good for me? And I was like, what do do you want, Rob? What do you want me to read for you? You know, it was such a, um, but it was, that was just another, honestly, very special place with 
amazing people and very different, like Rick Linklater and I were saying it was very filmmaker driven. Mm. So it wasn't all about competing for those big projects. It was really people came in the Frank Darabont's of the world and the Taylor Hackford and Tony Gilroy's and Bill Goldman and, you know, um, and Mark. And it was just like this, they came there because it was a filmmaker friendly place. And yeah. so a lot of the movies that were made kind of were made from the top, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it was definitely like, Oh, Mark Lawrence wants to, uh, you know, do this movie and he wants to write it for Hugh and Sandy. And so, there wasn't a whole lot for me to do, but I did do research. I did research for, gosh, I remember doing sure. research for best in show and, you know, I mean, and there were a lot of, um, there was an ultimate trust though. When you work as someone's assistant for a long time, I will tell you, they really, really trust you. And they trust your, um, your taste and material because we used to talk about material. Yeah. Like another story I tell, and, and it can, I remember going to see American pie because I was, more in the demo for American Pie. And I wasn't that young, but I went to see it. And at the time we had Kangaroo Jack and they were trying to cast it. And there were lots of names being thrown around. And I just, because it was what I did and what I loved, I went to see American Pie and I came in the next day and I looked at Martin and I was his assistant. And I said, I saw this movie, American Pie, you know, it's actually really good. And I said, there are probably three or four guys in that movie who would be right for Kangaroo Jack. And he went, Okay. You know, and that was, and I think he and his wife went and saw it that night and he came in the next day and he said, find out who represents, you know, the four main guys. And he, I called and he talked to all their agents and set ended up setting like general meetings, which at the time Chris Klein was really hot and he ended up setting a general meeting with Chris Klein, you know, but it was just, it was, that was what I say to young people. It's like, you are my eyes and ears mm. out there with what TV shows you're watching, who were the up and coming actors. I try to keep track of all of that, but it, that's just part of your job to know right. for me. And then for them, what shows are you watching? What should I be watching? Even if I just watch two episodes and go, I don't really like that, but this is the hot new show. Oh, love is blind. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? So I'm going to go watch two episodes of love is blind. So I know what what you become an expert the kids in the are talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. Okay, yeah. great. And then uh, in 2011, um, that's when Deborah Martin Chase comes in. So um, when running her deal, like they, I think at one point you had like a deal with Disney. So you were mm-hmm. given like the contemporary American girl doll, girl of the movie franchise. Oh gosh, and, yes. And in an interview, I read that you, um, you said that it was a lot like putting together an independent movie when someone has already given you the money and that you learned this, a lot of new skills. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to hear a little bit about that because I think some people who maybe go the independent film route or maybe, you know, this is like a similar, this is a way that people can connect. So can you tell me what sort of tools uh, you learned, what advice you give to someone who's responsible in that, you know, for that sort of. That was a really interesting, God, I think I started with her before 2011, but that might have been that, but, but we had done, you know, we'd done these Disney channel movies. We'd done a few features, but these were literally like, they said, we're going to give you this amount of money and we want the style to be more of a Disney channel movie. We want the music, we want the, you know, and so, but you have this pool of money and we don't have a production services company. And we weren't, it was universal home video at the time was going to distribute on home video. And then it ended up getting a TV airing, but we were not a part of that. So it was literally, Mm -hmm. and it was 
just me and Deborah and an assistant in the company. And we had wonderful people working at American Girl, but they were literally, we pitched them the idea of how we would make these movies and make them more like Disney Channel movies. And then they were like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you this money, go. So I remember the first thing we did was we found a line producer and I think maybe someone at Universal Home Video had recommended him. And so we, we really started it's funny now the movies I make, I'm like, oh, I know how to do that. But at that time, we were both like, oh, how do we make a movie for this much money? But also with starring 10 year old girls, because that just adds right, which is other, whole, yeah, whole and other the amount of time you can shoot in the day and all that kind of stuff. So it was interesting. So this guy came in and we sat before we hired the writers and we actually went through and said, this is how many locations we would need. We don't want to have more than this many speaking roles. We want to, to keep this contained. And so I had those guidelines for the writers who we hired. And, and then he actually went to work for Universal Home Video. And it was like, he ended up leaving us. So we did not have a line producer. Whoa. And, but, but thankfully he had helped you know, get that. And then I, but I think I was then just meeting some people through recommendations who's done this budget level, that kind of thing. So I bet a guy who was told me he was not going to be our producer, but he told me about shooting in Winnipeg. And now I've done many, many movies in Canada, but this was also just being Deborah. And it was the, the tax credit situation and how, how much more you got for your money. I mean, we got like almost like a million dollars more by going through this, but then we also had to borrow the money because they weren't. And, and so I worked very closely with the lawyer at Mattel through all of that to how do we were going to, you know, work. but it was really interesting deciding that this was the place we were going to shoot the movie because their tax credits were so amazing. We were going to get this much more money, yeah. but then I learned the difference between Canadian content versus service. We found, I'm trying to remember how I even found the service producer, but we did all of that. And it was kind of on me and Deborah was just like, come back to me and tell me what, you know, what you think. And we, she was working on the remake of sparkle for Sony right around that time. Right. Oh, we both, we were working on like three. Yeah. We, we were getting ready to do sparkle. We did the American girl movie before we did sparkle, but because sparkle was a feature. Yeah. It was probably in development again. It It had gotten out of Warner brothers and it was over at Sony, but, but this was, you know, Deborah was also, she was an independent producer, even though she had a deal, she made money by making movies. And that's where, what people don't always understand that as a producer, you don't make money unless you make movies. So when this American girl came to us, it's like, we're going to make this and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it moved faster. And we, so we did, we shot it in Winnipeg with the service company. We hired a director from here and a line producer from here, but we learned all the ins and outs of working there. And we got the the loan for the tax credit because no one was fronting that for us. We didn't have a company to do it. So it was a really interesting, it prepared me when I, when I went out and ended up going to work for Marvista Entertainment, I was like, I know how to do this. And the infrastructure, it's so much easier when the infrastructure is already there. But then it was it also just, more grateful for that. Then you're just like, Oh, totally we don't have to do that ourselves. Grateful. Oh my gosh. It's a, yeah. Cause it's the independent world is very, very different when you're trying to cobble, you know, first of all, cobbling money together, we didn't have to cobble the money together. They were saying, we're giving you this amount of money, but they were basically saying, 
We want you guys to take it and tell us how you want to make it. We're going to be still involved creatively, but everything else is up to you. And that was, you know, we really had to figure that out together and we did. um, And then I was involved in the second one. And then, but that, after I left, that mechanism was set up. So they made a few more with that same kind of, and it, and it, that, yeah, cause it works yeah. and, and that's, that's why, great. yeah, but, but Canada, there's a reason that Canada there's gets so much filming there. there. I yeah. know. And it was a great experience. And okay. we got Nia Vard- Vardalos to do it because she was from Winnipeg and she agreed to make the, <laughs> you know, you that's another thing you do. We had met with her as a writer. And then I remember we ran into her, Deborah and I were at some female filmmakers event. And I was talking to people about potentially shooting in Winnipeg and these great tax credits and this and that and that. And she overheard me and she came up and she said, what are you talking about? You know, that's where I'm from. That's where the whole big fat Greek wedding and da, da, da. no idea. And yeah. I said to Deborah one day, I said, we should offer the mom role yeah. to Nia. And she had a daughter who was young at the time. And my executive at Mattel goes, she's never going to do it for this money. And I go, I don't know. You and never she did. Because her whole that family kind of connection. Imagine for her that, that experience of being able to film at home. Oh no. When I got there, she came up and gave me the biggest hug and said, this has been the best summer. And she took me out with her whole, I met the whole family, the Greek family. And, and we had, it was, uh, but you, you're always connecting those things, you know? And that's what I mean. It was like, we didn't offer that role to anybody else. We just said, Hey, let's see if she would do it. And she did. I love that. It was great. Are you an actor? Do you always get that you should write a role for yourself? Did you know that Issa Rae wrote her web series that became the foundation for her Emmy-winning show, Insecure? In one of her past episodes, actor and mentor Tony Goldwyn talked about doing Ghost in a string of films and realizing he would have no control over his career unless he made his own opportunities. How does one go about doing that? Well, I recommend Emily Grace's Write Your Dream Role Starter Kit. You might remember Emily Grace from season three of Mentors on the Mic. She tells you to stop waiting for the industry to give you a role and write the role you were born to play. The Write Your Dream Role Starter Kit will help you write a compelling character that is tailored to your strengths, help show others what roles you were meant to play, and keep you in the creative hot seat. Go to the link in my show notes for how to get your starter kit now for free. My next question, because you kind of already mentioned Mar Vista. So I wanted to ask, so between these two gigs, right, between working for Deborah Martin Chase and between Mar Vista, there was a little bit of a gap. And, you know, you've mentioned this before, but I kind of wanted to discuss it because other mentors on the podcast have talked about it too. And I think there's sometimes a misconception that like everything goes, you know, you go from one job to the next all the time. Mm -hmm. And I want to just illuminate a little bit, like, what do you do during these gaps, which are inevitable? I mean, it happens in everybody's career in entertainment. It's not linear. There's no like one-to-one to one, you know, to the next thing. There are gaps. So what do you, what do you do during those gaps? And what did you learn about this particular, from this particular one? That one was actually, that was, was not planned. That was the feature deal went away. And so we ended our partnership after all those years, which was, you know, in hindsight, it was hard, but at the same time, it was timing is always, you know, so honestly, I was looking for a job. I mean, that I was looking for a job, but I was working on other things and, and, you know, but I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, which is by choice. I was, 
but I was going on interviews and getting so close on so many jobs. And I did have a friend who said at one point, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a movie to executive produce, which funny enough, I didn't get to do it because then I got the job at Mar Vista, but I had a deal in place to do it. And I started working on the script. So I was doing the work, but then while I was looking for a job, I was keeping myself busy, but you know, you're constantly, you know, you're meeting with friends. You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're putting feelers out all the time and you're, and it was interesting because another friend of mine, who's a manager introduced me to one of her clients who had an independent movie and said, she really needs a producer. So it's like, you're doing sweat equity. I didn't get paid to do anything on that, but I enjoyed it because she was a director, you know, um, and we, she had written the script. And so we did a lot of just stuff where I met with all these independent financiers. I called agents and we got the script out to actors. And, and so even though that movie never got made and who knows if I hadn't taken the job, maybe the movie would have gotten made, but keeping you busy, still doing things that you love, you know, where you're still like, oh, this is, this is fun. This person read the script and they said they'd give us $200,000 if we get the right person. And, you know, all those kind of little things. And, and like I said, making cast lists and talking to the casting director and figuring out who we wanted to go out to and, and meeting with honestly, some crazy people too, who were just like, I don't even think they mean what they say, but I learned that that was a the BS a world that I didn't necessarily love. Where I was yes. Like, mm, I the know. people that there's, I feel like there's a lot of them in this industry where you just, you meet them and it's like a lot of talk and then you realize that you kind of have to see through it and go, okay, there's nothing here. Well, and I mean, that was in, in hindsight too, that was such a long time ago. And it's like, I remember she and I going to AFM and walking around and I was just like, I don't understand what, you know, but then working at Mar Vista, I was only working on the network movies that were so we sold and developed them with the network and I made them with the network, but Marvis had a whole other side where they made all these small movies and they had output deals. And so that was all going on. And I could learn as much as I wanted to learn about that because it was interesting. It was like, Oh, they were independent movies, but they were at that time, Mm. they were mostly made for television with the idea that they could sell to lifetime or hallmark or up or ion or any of these places. But then they had output TV deals with international markets. So that was a very viable business. And then the side, when I was brought in, they had a deal with Disney XD to make two movies. And so I had made movies for Disney channel. So they were like, we need an executive who knows how to do these network movies. So the company was in the process of growing even then. Mm. And so I was charged with doing those movies and working directly with the networks and looking for movies for the networks. And so it was, it was different, but we were all in the same place and we were all, you know, we, we all had a good time. And I, I, I made a lot of fun movies that I made like nine, I think. I mean, physically made. Yeah. And I said, I went, I went on look, you know, and yeah, it was you like, were, you were involved. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you were, yeah, I was like, on set. You can oh, yeah. tell us multiple I spent, details. Of I spent that. a lot of time in Canada, which I love, but um, yeah. But yeah. So that in that time, yeah, I was looking for a job and, you know, it, and I will tell you, it, it's heartbreaking too, to get, there were two jobs at the end that like, I was the close second, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where they call you and they go, well, if it was between you and this one other person and the network knew this person. And so I have to go with them. And, yeah. and I will say there's never though, I look back and um, one of those jobs just didn't last very long. Like the, the company didn't. And then the other one, so you go, like we talked a little bit, the sliding door effect. It's just like, what would have happened if I would have stayed 
got that job, but you just, you know, it, you just never know. And you never um, know. Yeah. And I love that because I'm, I'm also an actor. It's one of the, so from oh, yeah. that perspective, we go through that a lot too, where we're like, we were so close to that. What would have been like, if we got that role or like, mm-hmm. oh, I auditioned for that. And I was close to that. So there, there is that element of that is something I feel universal within every, almost every position in, in the entertainment every, industry. Or if I would just would have stepped this way instead of that way. And, you know, one thing I will say in my career too, the one thing I never done is worked at an agency or a management company. Mm. And so many of my friends came up at agencies, even when they knew they weren't yeah. going to be eight, but you know, I had a, have a group of friends who all met working as assistants at CAA, you know, and you had such a different amount of access and, you know, getting jobs and getting your foot in the door in a different way. But I do always tell students, like when I went to that Papazian Hirsch job, it was a receptionist job. My parents were like, you're answering phones and you have a college degree. And it was like, but yeah. I'm answering phones in the place where I'm doing what I want to do. And I was learning from everyone there. You could do as much as you want. When you, people don't have assistance, you're like, well, I'm going to read scripts for the development person. I'm going to help the post-production person with these contracts. Yeah. I'm going to do this. And I laugh being Southern and being my friend at that time, she'd go, you're a sponge. We can teach you anything in you. Mm. But I was, I was never green and I just wanted to learn. So I had huge TV directors or people sitting in a room waiting and I would start asking them questions in a, but in a, cause people like to talk about themselves right. and they do, and you know, they, if you say, I loved that movie you made, they will start talking to you. And then guess what? They'll go, well, you should come out and visit set when we're shooting. And you're like, really? Thank you. You know, and, and you learn, but, but people get it. And attitude and passion and knowing when people know that you have that for what they do, they are more willing to help you or just bring you in. And I, that's another thing I tell people about mentoring. A lot of times when people are really busy, they don't have time to mentor. When people ask me who my mentors were, I didn't really have mentors. I learned from every boss that I had though. And like Martin was a perfect example. You could ask Martin Schaefer anything, especially when he wasn't my friend taught me this because she was the assistant right before me and left. She said, when Martin walks out of his office and he starts playing with the baseball that's sitting here or with the golf putter, just because he's not running around, he's, he's just kind of, that's when you can ask him any question. Hmm. So I could say, what is, how does tracking work? Or what is this? Or what did you think of this? What did you think of that? Curtis was amazing at that too. He wanted me to learn. Like he would say, I want you to watch this movie because this is the kind of movie that I want to make. And I think one day I was working from home and he was, and he, he called and he goes, um, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading scripts. And he goes, come meet me at the like Lemley theater. And we went to see, um, a movie with like Carol Lombard and William, pa- I, and he was just like, come go to, come go to this movie with me. And it was never, that's why in some, you know, it was never weird. It was just like, come yeah. watch this movie with me. I want to know what you think. And he knew I went to film school and Martin knew I went to film school and knew the people that I'd worked with. And they'd ask me specific questions about what was that like? Or even when LA Confidential came out, William Goldman said to me, did you know, did you know he was that good? Did you know he had this in him? And I said, absolutely. Yeah. I knew. And 
you know, because I learned so much talking about scripts with him after I'd read them and, and, you know, and so, so yeah, people don't always just have the time to sit down and like, right. kind of, uh, I think people think of you. mentor mentee relationship sometimes is very formal. Mm-hmm. Like very, like it has to be like, okay, I'm going to get together with this person and they're going to answer all my questions and they're going to open all these doors for me. And they're going to introduce me to people. And it's, it's a very, it's just a wrong way of looking at it because mm-hmm. it can be just whomever gives you even one discussion can be a very worthwhile mentor. You just, you don't know. And I think it makes sense that all your bosses were great mentors. It mm-hmm. makes sense that you know, you're a mentor yourself, obviously. And just um, the amount that you can absorb from people, especially if you go out of your way to do so, like you did. Well, and telling stories are examples. And I've, when I've spoken, like at the UT thing, they said, they go, they like hearing stories of how you solved the problem or what you did, because it just helps people because nothing prepares you to be a producer until you're doing it. Nothing really prepares you to be a development executive. I always laugh because as a development executive, sure, everyone can sit around and read and critique scripts. And you can do that as an assistant. (laughs) The biggest thing is when you have to give writers notes and they, it has to make sense and you have to figure out how to say it without hurting because creative people are very sensitive, sensitive and they should be about their own projects specifically. Absolutely. Too. And so when you are trying to say that something doesn't work, but you, the way I do it, I had a, another producer I was working with years ago saying, why do you always make your notes a question? Mm. Why? What's the answer Good. to the question? And this is a fellow producer who's really smart. I said, well, because I think a lot of times the writer thinks that the, that they've answered that question. And if I'm, asking them the question, they'll sometimes tell me the answer and I'll go, okay, well, that's not there. So I'm glad that you know the answer to the question. And then it, to them, they're just going, oh, it's not obvious. Oh, oh. I didn't realize that she didn't get that from it's the a script. softer delivery. Yeah. Like, what does this person want? Well, she wants this, obviously that, oh, okay. Well, that's not obvious to me. So let's just make sure that we know that that's what she wants. And then of course there's something like, I don't want her to want that, you know, but, but you, you also in an ideal world, you develop a trust relationship with your writers too, and your directors. And, you know, you, everyone is, should be on the side of the movie. And that's the goal is no one's kind of wants to bang their fist on the table going, this is my movie. It's like, how do we make this the best movie? And I think that that's, that's always my attitude. Super smart. So just in the interest of time, I'll just continue. Mm-hmm. So um, after roles, VP of development and production and movies for Marvista for a while, you worked for a couple of years as vice president of film and television at Hello Sunshine. What did that role entail? And what's your favorite memory or project that you oh, worked gosh. on? Well, interestingly, Lauren Newsetter and I've been friends for a long time. We had offices next to each other at oh. one point at Disney and I've known her. And so she brought me in and there was going to be a um, slate of romantic comedies for when she brought me in, they didn't know who it was going to be for. It ended up being with HBO Max. And right. so I was really focused on that and finding these books. And we were we were looking at making kind of like traditional romantic comedies with the Hello Sunshine label, which I still think is an amazing idea. And just I hope they do it. I mean, I, well, really I'll tell romantic you, comedies have taken a little bit of a, uh, yeah, well, I will tell you one of the ones that I developed, I didn't end up making cause I left, but is um, it may, being made or was made at Amazon. 
And I think it comes out this Christmas and it's called something from Tiffany's. So I'll look up for that. Yeah. And that was based on a book and we, I was reading a ton of books and we were looking for very specific types of projects. And so, you know, features take a lot longer time too. So, but we did have a few that we were developing and then, you know, things changed at HBO max. And so happened that deal didn't went away and COVID came and things just, you know, changed in general. And, um, but it was a great, it's a great company. And I look at all of the projects that are coming out, like just, I think it was yesterday or today from scratch, which is going to be a series, a limited series at Netflix starring um, Zoe Saldana. I was there for that. That's what I mean. I wasn't working on them, but my colleagues were working on them. And the show Surface that's on Apple right now, I was there when they sold that at the tail end. And where the crawdads sing, you know, we were all, you know, championing and, and uh, you know, helping out in the beginning. We all read a draft of the script. And so I went to see that movie and I'm just so proud of all the amazing work that they're doing. And I look at, you know, I, I, Daisy Jones and the Six, which is, oh, I'm not sure when so that's coming excited. out on Amazon. So there were I think so they many finished great it movies. a little while ago. So I think they just soon. finished it like in New Orleans, but I don't yeah. know when it drops, but from scratch, they shot partly in Italy during COVID. And so there were all these, you know, things going on. And of course I'm a huge morning show fan and, um, I know yeah, love. that's where I got to meet Reese for the first time was on the set of the morning Aww. show. I'd already been hired and I went over to, to meet her officially. And, you know, they're just, they're just killing it. You know, she just and, is great in person yeah. as we wanted to be good. She's awesome. Excellent. No, it's a great, it, it, you know, it's a great company and people who work really hard and make wonderful content. And, and I'm just happy that they're going to, that they're going to keep doing that. They're going to continue doing their thing. I love yeah. it. And I'm and doing then, my own thing. <laughs> and you're doing your own thing. Well, so that's, that's where we want to leave off. So I, you're doing a lot of different mm-hmm. things and I kind of wanted to touch base on it because I'm, I'm touch a lot on a lot of notes because mm-hmm you know, not only are you producer on uh, executive producer on stuff, but you're also a consulting producer on different shorts, which I love to see. You're also a consultant for actors. So I saw you were a consultant for Tia, um, Tia Mowry Hardrick, who I love um, on a film. So what does that entail? And how do you decide to like decide on what to do? Yeah. I always say it's like COVID and birthdays made everybody kind of think. And I just felt like it was time that I wanted to just do my own thing and knowing but I also know that I have a skill set as a creative producer that places will hire you to do that too. So interesting enough, the Tia Mowry movie was um, Lifetime was making a movie with her and they wanted a US producer on one of her movies. And then they plugged me into this, but because it was a Canadian content movie, I couldn't be an executive producer, but I was I was there every day and did all oh, that. So I got the consulting and I had, gosh, it was crazy this time last year, I was in Toronto making this Motown Christmas movie starring Tia, but also um, Smokey Robinson, which was just like, and we got to shoot in the Motown Museum. And it was honestly just an amazing experience. And I got to work with some Canadian production company I'd never worked with and I adore them all. And so we were Toronto and Hamilton, Ontario. So I did a Christmas movie last year. The shorts were actually something that I was finishing up at Hello Sunshine that were kind of in conjunction with this rom-com deal then, but it was a brand, it was branded content, which was really interesting. And so, um, but they always wanted me to kind of consult on those for the brand, for the rom-coms. And so 
I was involved in that in like choosing these true Bumble stories and figuring out which ones we wanted to make, hire the filmmakers and going from there. So those got released after I left, but they were Mm. in production toward the end of the year when I was still there and I stayed involved for a few months on those. And so was involved in post and all that. So that was just fun because that's kind of my wheelhouse. And that was fun. Yeah, it was just, and it was a different format and based on these cute little true stories and up and coming female filmmakers. So that was a lot of fun. Wow. And then like Caribbean summer, which I did shot, just shot in March and April, but aired wow. in June. So that was fast. something where, yeah, Hallmark hired me to be a creative, creative producer on that project. And because I'd done movies with them and they know me, I literally got an email. Would you be available to go to a movie in Belize? Like in like a month. And I was like, hmm. Hmm. yeah. And that was a great, experience and very fast post and I have a movie at Netflix that and hopefully we'll be making that one and then another project at Hallmark and and so I'm really yeah I'm trying to be targeted though with what I sell because I am an independent single woman I want to work with people who I know also want to work with me so there's a little bit of that because as we said before you don't get paid as a producer unless you make movies so you, you know, that's what I'm, I'm doing. And a friend asked me yesterday about the Netflix movie. And I said, I was told by an exec who I met with that they wanted to make some sexy thrillers starring women. And so I made calls to a bunch of agents and managers. I know even from back in the castle rock days, I'm like, what scripts do you Mm -hmm. have lying around that could be right for this? And I just went off and read a bunch of scripts and I found one that I really liked. And so that we, I sold that one. And so hopefully we'll be making it in the next, you know, hopefully in the next year or so. And so that's what I'm doing. And right. You know, when we get done, I've got like two more pitches for the, you know, ideally for Hallmark for rom-com Christmas movies that I've been developing with writers. And I read scripts, I read books, I take meetings with writers and that's what I'm doing. So if I can make a movie or two a year, I'll be okay. Yeah. All set. I mean, that sounds fantastic. And I'm glad that you're so busy and have so many things in the pipeline. It's so nice. Cause then I get to like later on talk (laughs) to you and be like, what else can I promote for you? What can I say that this mentor has been working on? Um, but I think that's also part of it too, is that you need to have a lot of different. Yeah things to juggle, you know, you can't have everything in just one basket. You have, have to have a lot of things sort of in different places and development process. And just sometimes they don't work and sometimes they do work. And, and that's just, well, and sometimes you can be talking on the phone to a friend about one project and telling them a story. And I don't know what will happen, but literally I was telling a a true story of something that happened to a friend of mine. And this friend said, well, what about that as a movie? And I went, Oh, I don't know. And so, you know, Mm. maybe, maybe the next time I talk to you, we'll have made that movie or we'll sell, you know, set it up, but it's just, it's, you're just always, and I hate to use the term hustling because I'm at really at a point in my life where I don't want to hustle anymore, but at the same time, it's about, I'm like, and I say this all the time, I'm very blessed that I'm still working in this business and that people that I'm working, that we're all still in this business, we're in it because we still love it. It's changed a lot. It's changed so much, but we all still love making movies and we love, you know, we love supporting our friends and, and being happy for them when they sell a show or make a movie. And so you just want to put all that good out and, and, you know, and it comes back to you, I think. 
that's really well said. I'll probably use that in marketing something because <laughs> that's a good one right there. Um, the last question I always like to ask my mentors is how would you define success right now? I feel like success is something that we define and it evolves over time. And mm -hmm. so I'm curious right now where you are, what would you define success as? I think it's doing what you love doing and being able to support yourself doing it. You know, and I think that, like I said, when you get to a certain point in your life and your career, you and your friends start talking a lot about that. And I think that COVID really did make us all look up after, you know, you're trapped in your home for a year. What makes me happy? What, what do I want to be doing and how can I stay? So I think having some freedom, but still loving it. And I remember many years ago, my uncle said to me when I was out here uh, first, he said, you know, you're lucky because not many people get to do what they love for a living. And even on the days when it's frustrating or I get told no, and I think someone's wrong because they should see what I see. Exactly. Um, you know, we still, we all love it. And we yeah. say that, that we do it for the love of the game. I mean, it, you can't be doing it for the money because I mean, some people get really lucky and make a lot of money too. And I don't mean luck because well, some people do get lucky, but it's hard work. And but some people make a lot of money and they're not happy either, you know, and burnout is real. And so you really have to find where your passion is and, and direct it there. And I said, I remember when I, you know, it was first even meeting at Hello Sunshine and the CEO said, what's your favorite part? What's your favorite part of the whole process? I know you'd love it all. And I said, I still love being on set. I mean, I don't want to live on set because, but I said to me, you've accomplished your goal because your goal is to make a movie or a TV show. Mm. And so if you're on set, you're doing it. And I've always felt comfortable on set. And I joked yesterday with friends, I said, people are always like, you look so happy in your pictures on set. And I go, well, first of all, cause we're doing it. And secondly, if you take a picture of me on the last day, I'm usually really tired, but happy because guess what? We did it, we got we it. it. It's almost in the can, you know, it's not done yet, but it's, it's hard. I mean, we shot a movie in Belize in 15 days. Believe me, that was not easy. They um, know what they're doing. Those Hallmark people, they just have, a, I know. They, have a, they have their own system and they work and it works. Yeah. They just know exactly. They're like, this is what we need. This is the coverage we need. This is how long post-production is. And it's on a completely different, like, oh, yeah. no. whole, as yeah. people, as friends of mine who do more series would say, it's kind of like doing a pilot, right? And I'm like, yep, yeah. it is because it is, it's a, Overall, it's a 15 day prep and 15 day shoot and you got to know what you're doing and everybody on board and, and it's, but you know what they, when you've got good people, it's when people know what they're doing, like you said, it's all different and all the movies have different challenges, yeah. whether it's a location or someone who's never done it before or COVID or whatever, but you know, you're in it, you're, you're, you know, you're in and out in six weeks, ideally. And and then you got to put it all together and hope it turns out. Well. <laughs> and I'm yeah, actually, well, that, okay. I just want to ask one more question then. Uh -huh. So what is something, what is something that's idyllic that you would want to either develop a project that you'd oh, want to see out there or what's something that, you know, you'd always would love to. to put I mean, I out. still love like a good Nancy Myers, you mm -hmm. know, when Harry met Sally type yes. romantic comedy, that's one of my all-time favorite and those Nancy Myers. And I think that um, I've been having a lot of conversations about these with friends because they do get made here and there and they get made on the streamer, but they're still not 
what pe people don't respect them in the same way that they respect a prestigious or an indie movie or whatever. And you're like, now there's still a lot to mine in relationships and they're fun. And when they work and they're actually really hard to do because they yeah. are predictable, you know, the two pretty people are going to get together. I mean, it's just the way it works. So having a fun journey and making people laugh and think are really important, you know? And so, um, so I want to, I want to make, but I also love a good true story. I don't know. It's all about, Hard. it's all about the story for me. And I will say, I do tend to gravitate toward female characters just because that's what I relate to, but I love being able to, to tell a real story that people can find something in there that they grasp onto and make them laugh and make them cry at the same time. Don't we? Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm sorry. Thank I just went you. a little bit over. No, 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 that's okay. I know we started, but it was such late. a great interview and I really appreciate learning from you and from your stories and from your experiences. Like you said, I agree. I think there's so much wisdom to be learned from people's stories and, and from your, your career and what you've learned. And yes, you're right. Most of it is just on the day learning, oh, yeah. you know, being in the moment and figuring it out as you go, but there's so much we can learn from this type of thing. So I, I just appreciate Definitely. your time and thank you. Thank you, Michelle. This was really fun. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't yet, do me a favor, drop a five-star review, follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, and find me on Instagram. I'm at, at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. Share this in your stories. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend, and I'll see you next time.